Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents Humans Aren't Robots. I'm your host Sam Davies and we've got another great episode this week from South Start, uh, which was a brilliant convergence of people and minds and ideas here in Adelaide late last year. We sat down with Penny Lacasso. So if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you remember we actually talked to her at South Start last year. I really love sitting down with Penny and I was excited to do it, especially uh, in the tent where we're sitting on the floor. It was the perfect atmosphere, I think, to have a conversation with Penny. Penny calls herself a happiness hacker and she runs a company called Be Kindred. And what she does is she teaches people how to slow down and think more and make decisions to adapt. She's coined the term intentional adaptability quotient, uh, which we talked about during this chat, IAQ, which is basically a means of measuring how skilled someone is at making intentional change in a complex environment that's evolving quickly, which is the world we find ourselves in. You can find out more about um, IAQ on her website. During our conversation, we dove into the theme of Penny's talk at South Start, which was discussing the busy epidemic, how as a society people are forced to cram so much stuff into their days, um, leading to bad mental health, especially anxiety. And Penny gave us some really actionable um, hacks for productivity and managing her work into small portions of her day. There's actually some really, really good takeaways from this conversation. It was really inspiring for me, and I think it will challenge you all to think differently. So without further ado, let's jump back into that tent at South Start with Penny Lacasso. Penny, it's a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me back, Sam. The, uh, the name has changed since we spoke last time, so Humans Aren't Robots is the, is the name of the podcast. Where did that come from? So it's actually a, a mantra, a phrase we say a lot internally in, in, in the office at, at Digital Noir. So building tech products and, and working within digital marketing and this is kind of the world we play in. Mm. I often kept coming back. So we look at uh, the way we focus on like a new project. We always take that human approach first, right? Like as opposed to here's the solution. What are, what are the actual needs and wants of the people that are going to be using the product, right? So we always take that sort of human focused approach. But then we kept thinking about, right, what about the impact that this is having? What about how the user of these products are actually going to be interacting with it? And, and we just kept coming back to this sense that we don't want to live in a robotic world where we're just making something for a demographic. We're making something for numbers. We actually want to make things for people. They're going to enjoy them and be able to... And so, and so that's one element. That's sort of more of the customer-focused element. But then just internally as well, um, as a team of 12 people, and I, I really want to get into some of this stuff with you because I know you spent a lot of time thinking about it. How do we humanize the workplace? How do we come into, how do we come into the office every single day and... Yeah, not, not feel robotic, not feel like I have to sit at a computer and bash out X amount of lines of code or meet some KPI. So, yeah, a lot of those reasons. And it just kept coming up in the podcast. Almost every single conversation I had with people, it kept coming back to that, that, that human element about whether it was marketing or entrepreneurship or business. So, yeah, that, that was sort of the pivot. And it's something that I'm really interested in and keep sort of diving back into. So and I know you are too. So. Mm. Where do you want me to begin? <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I think that, well, firstly, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you're here at South Start. Have you, have you enjoyed the last few days? Yeah, I, I love South Start because I, I kind of think the magic of, of um, I kind of think of South Start a bit more like a festival. Yep. Um, but the magic of the, these types of events lies 
in the fact that it creates space for people to step away from the noise of the everyday and to step into a space where they're open to new ideas, Um, they're presented with new information, but also the environment cultivates human connection. And I just think the mix of all of those things together um, is extremely helpful in a world that that seems extremely noisy. And it's so noisy. So here we are sitting in a, in a teepee um, by a, albeit fake fire. It's a fabulous teepee. The, um, you know, the concept here from Craig is about, you know, I think he said, you know, you have the best, you have the best conversations at, at 2 a.m. at a house party surrounded, you know, around the kitchen table. It's so true. Um, that, that's, that's where conversations happen, right, around the campfire, um, especially around food. So creating this element of sort of, yeah, like we're not at the Adelaide Convention Centre sitting pa- passively listening to people talk at us we're trying to create something where we can actually have a conversation as humans so yeah hopefully they've done i think actually over the last two days sitting here and seeing how many people have been congregating around and and bumping into each other and having those conversations it's really it's great well i literally stepped off the stage an hour ago and between then and now in the lunch break i think i've had eight different conversations with people that have approached me wanting to talk about the the kind of thinking um, that I spoke about on stage and that's the stuff that I love you know it's not standing on the stage is magical especially when you can connect with people but for me the real um, the real interesting part is the aftermath of that where people actually want to talk about what's going on for them and so I, I wasn't privy to your, your talk today. So what were, you, what were you talking about here at South Start? So the talk was called The Busy Shall Inherit the Future, but the Intentionally Adaptable Will Shape It. And we speak, well, I speak, I always say we, because <laughs> I don't feel like I do any of what I do alone, which I, I don't. Um, but I speak about the busy epidemic and how um, busy is a barrier to us actually living lives that, are, uh, that enable us to thrive in a world of technology. Um, I think that there is something to be said for the indulgence in inefficiency and bringing more of that into our lives because we now think of things like sitting down and thinking mm. or having deep human conversations on a daily basis as indulgences, which I just think is fucked. You know, like, it, it, these are not indulgences. You spoke about humanising the future of work. Man, if we just created space for people to get rid of this focus on productivity and efficiency, because what are, what are we being more productive and efficient for? You know, like, so, and honestly, from what I see, we are trying to drive productivity and efficiency through the technology that we create so we can actually just do more. Yeah. Like, it's just this endless cycle of doing. And it's like, it, it, there, it is directly linked to the mental health issues we are currently seeing globally mm. and they are not getting better it's actually getting worse it's a kind of global like neuroticism isn't it because it's a it's this and, I, and i've been there and, and felt it you know starting a business and then you know probably got too deep into the habit a few years ago of you know trying to uh, streamline my existence so that i could do more stuff you know oh, all these productivity hacks and habits and and, and for what, really? You know, just, just so I could do more stuff, um, which, is, which is kind of not helpful for anything. No. Espe- especially mental health. It's not. It's not. And, you know, busy perpetuates busy. And a, a friend recently told me who's a psychologist, she said, a busy mind will go to anxiety. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. And that's what we're, we're starting um, to see. And it disturbs me as the mother of a nine-year-old. I cannot tell you how many parents, I speak all around the world, the amount of parents that come up to me and talk about their child's anxiety or how their child's not coping, um, it's it just it's mind-blowing. And then the other thing that blows me away is 
every time I do this talk, I ask people to raise their hand if they've never experienced anxiety or had someone close to them experience. I've never had anyone in a room put their hand up. So wow. no one, mm. no one that I've spoken, and I've spoken in front of, I think we did the numbers the other day, I would have spoken in front of probably 15,000 people this year. Mm. Not one person has ever put their hand up because everyone is touched by this, this is why it's an epidemic. It, it really is. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it's quite frightening, really. It but- is frightening because where does it end? Like the rates of suicide in the next generation are beyond anything we've ever seen. Um, these are the leaders of tomorrow and we have got a whole generation that is hugely anxious and overwhelmed and they're fully supported. So they, their current environment means that their parents pay the bills, yeah, they're in school. So um, they're fully supported in all aspects of life. Mm. So what happens when you remove all that support and they have to become independent adults and they've got massive issues with anxiety? Like I, I don't even think we've seen the tip of the iceberg yet. Mm. Talk to me about intentional adaptability. What, what, is that, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Oh. So what happened was probably about two years ago, every time I spoke, people would say to me, how do I keep up with the pace and scale of change? How do I make sure I remain relevant? What are the skills I need to be able to, you know, effectively navigate this, this future that we're in um, when so much is changing all the time? And I was like, who are you keeping up with? <laughs> um, for what? And that's the thing. When you ask people those questions, they don't know. Yeah, And so I was like, this is really interesting to me. And someone who's worked in change for over 20 years and adaptability, I was like, I'm going to start to do some research. And I came across a really interesting article out of Harvard and it spoke about an AQ, an adaptability quotient, or a, a quotient is just another word for measure. Yep. And it said your AQ in the context of a skill for the future would be more important than your EQ or your IQ. Yeah, because if you couldn't adapt, you'd be left behind. Mm. And it also said that it was the, the new competitive edge. And I was like, oh, we're all buying that if Harvard says it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, well, this is interesting. And it makes a lot of sense to me in the context of the work that I'm doing. But if I overlay that with the conversations I have after I talk, what I realise that adaptability, when it is extrinsically motivated or motivated by someone else's ill intentions, right, i.e. tech companies wanting to create technology for addiction. Yeah. The onflow effects of that are, are significant and often relate to um, mental unrest. Uh, you only need to look at the unconscious adaptation of iPhones and how 11 years in, we've now got a whole host of issues mm. that were not considered. So I was like, well, what if we could take this concept and what if we could actually bring intention to the forefront of how we helped people adapt? so that it was conscious and they put meaning at the forefront of the decisions that they made. So rather than speed things up, which is what we keep talking about, I actually want to slow people down and help them create the space to think more, um, to have more conversations and actually get very clear on what matters in life. Because unless you can get clear on those two or three things that really matter to you, I think it's going to be very hard to get off this hamster wheel Mm. that people are stuck on. And so that was where this concept of IAQ, Intentional Adaptability Quotient, was born. So I basically took a global term, uh, modified it and renamed it. And then when I couldn't find anyone out there with um, a way to teach it, or a way to measure the shift in it over time so we could help people get better at intentionally adapting, I went out and created it. Um, And so your intentional adaptability quotient is the measure of how skilled you are at making intentional change in a complex environment that's evolving at speed. Give me an example of of an intentional change. Oh, so many, because I always think, when you can teach people to make change in bite-sized pieces, that's how you help them build the courage and confidence to make bigger change over time. 
So two really simple things that have helped me if I think about intentional change. I am just as addicted to my phone as every, any, anybody else. So I don't profess to be perfect in any of this, mm. but I'm a hacker, so I'm constantly hacking with my behaviour. So one thing that I've done is um, really simple stuff. So I removed all um, social media off my phone. Yeah. So I don't have any apps on my phone that aren't in and out apps. So maps, for example, I go in and out of because I need to see where I go. My calendar I go in and out of. But anything that's going to suck my time, gone. Yeah. All right? And I learned that from Tristan Harris, who's an amazing um, ex-Google ethicist that talks a lot about this sort of stuff. And he created the Centre for Humane Technology. Um, the other, like, I'm just going to give you some of the random hacks that have really worked for me. Sure. The other thing that I came across recently that has blown my mind, I get goosebumps every time I talk about it, this is technology that is designed to amplify human potential, right, because there's plenty of it out there, is a tool called Focusmate. Okay. I'm huge on creating the space for deep thinking and actually doing work that really lights me up, but just doing a single task at a time. Yeah. I've just started writing my first book. And so focus, mate, basically, you get on, they're 50-minute sessions, and you set a time where it connects you on a calendar with a random stranger somewhere else in the world, and you both basically sit down, you set your intention for the session on like a Zoom call, Mm. and for 50 minutes you sit there and you just work on that single focus thing, and then you check in at the end. That's so cool. It is magic, and I do it at 5 a.m. nearly every morning. I love that. And I cannot tell you, if I, I do, often I'll do a session at 5 a.m. and then I'll do another one at 6.15 a.m. in the morning because I get up early before my son. Mm. And I've got two hours of, like, seriously, the, you took productivity. Deep work, that yeah. two hours of work is probably the equivalent of what most people get done in a day. Yeah. Um, because it's just so, it's so focused and intentional. The other thing that I love, and I'm big on, as a tech that amplifies human potential and creates the space for us to be more human or think more, um, is an app called Freedom. Okay. And Freedom basically... Um, because most of us are addicted and we even if our phone's sort of turned off and next to us, we can't help ourselves. Yeah. Freedom actually locks down all of the distractions that you can access on your computer and your phone for a period of time that you determine. Sure. So I lock myself out. Does it work on iPhone? Yep, works sure. on everything. Yeah, cool. Focus, mate. So I've, I've been a long fan of, sort of the Pomodoro technique or, you know, just, just you're setting yourself an intention for, for a, a short period of time where I, I will not do anything else other than this set thing that I'm working on, right? And then you can say, so it's 25 minutes, and you take a five-minute break to do whatever else you need to do, but then come back to that that focused time. But having the accountability buddy at the end of it, or having that person that you actually come back to and say, like, how did it go, is because often you'll say, oh, I'm not going to do this. But then, you know, you find yourself, a notification pings, and you're all of a sudden, and then you're off on a tangent, right? And then you're like, what was I doing? But again, and, and the thing of doing this at the same time every day, you're shifting your habits and your behaviours, and yeah. that, that's what I'm really committed to. Um, and there's a whole host of science behind 100%. how being accountable to another individual actually means that we are more likely to do what we set out to do. Yeah, yeah. 100%. It's, it, and it's five bucks a month. Wow. It's a game changer. I, I'm going to definitely try that. <laughs> so we both uh, came across Stephen Gates last year. So I was at, I was at Pause Fest as oh, well. Oh, so, um, yeah. I didn't actually get to interview him there, but I ended up doing a, a chat with him. Oh, no. What am I talking about? We did, I, did, I did interview him there. Um, I spoke to his colleague uh, over Skype. So I had a, a, an amazing chat with him, but you had a, a good experience with him at the retreat, I believe. Mm. So I listened to your podcast that came directly after that. I don't know yeah. if you want to touch on sort of – because that seemed like a bit of, sh- of a shift for you in terms of maybe what you were podcasting about and then, and then how you thought you could change that. Yeah. Intentionally. See, I'd never, I honestly had never heard of Stephen until mm. I met him at that retreat, and um, I could. It was really funny how you know some people have an energy about them, and he took his wife, so I met his wife as well. Yeah, she was cool. She was fabulous, um, Whitney, and I had a real connection with her. And um, 
she immediately spoke about anxiety in front of a large group of people, which which is probably you know, in some ways is an Amer- you know it's quite American. To, to, but she was really authentic in the way that she did it, and that had an impact on me. And then I was curious, so I started to speak to Stephen, and so I said, let's. Um, let me interview you for the podcast and he does his own podcast and he challenged me to be a lot I think I'm pretty vulnerable but he really challenged me to be more vulnerable in what I share yeah um and you know it's funny how you think you're at a level where you're more more of something than other people because you're always you know this comparison never goes away um, but he made me realize that there was real power in sharing more of that vulnerability and um that conversation then shifted a lot of my behaviour and how I approach that now. So, yeah, it was... He was a good human. <laughs> he is, yeah, very yeah. Very, very much so. Um, it was weird because I, I literally listened to that, your podcast, a couple of weeks ago on that, and then um, one after where I... I can't remember the, the name of the gentleman, but it was you were talking about uh, making work more human. I think that was the name of the, the podcast. I can't remember the, the, the gentleman's name, but... Um, I don't know if you remember, um, had a business, uh, I think, based in Sydney. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but in that you were talking about... Stephen Marr. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get back to that, but you were talking about obstacles or obstacles being sort of... or things in your path actually end up being the way, right? So it was it was weird because directly after that I got an email from this guy, uh, Jim Antonopoulos. I don't know if you've come across Jim before. He runs a design agency in Melbourne called Tank. Great guy. Worth having on your podcast sometime. What's it? He, but he, he recommended this book called The Obstacle is the Way and he's had a, a bit of a shit year and he said he read this book and it was just very uh, poignant for him it was weird like I listened to that podcast and then I, I read this book over last weekend and there was some great stuff in there that I think you would, you would love so for example this quote from Thomas Edison so you know, Thomas Edison yeah. the, the inventor um, had a, amassed a huge fortune had you know 5,000 patents on all his inventions um, he had this huge factory and it caught fire and um, a disastrous fire and it was burning to the ground um, and he was he called it, his son called him over and you know, to wherever the factory was and said you know shit what do we do and he said get your mother and sister they're never going to see a fire like this again in their lives and, and that was his kind of attitude like the fire is it's on fire that's gone it is what it is yeah now we move on and we start again and I love that I love that uh I think it was Edison. I, I, I love that. Mm. But I think that there was also, I'm pretty sure it was Edison, and I can't remember the book that I read it in. And, you know, we, a lot of what we teach in intentional adaptability is how to be courageous yep. and how to use fear and failure actually as a real positive to shape the change that you want. And I'm pretty sure it was Edison. Um, there's a, a question around how many patents did he have yeah. Yeah, versus how many... Um, uh, how many I what, what was it patents versus um, the amount of ideas that he had yeah, yeah, sure. that actually got over the line Ooh. and you know it was something like you know a thousand um, ideas that he'd worked on but of which there was probably only like five patents yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. and it's all about you know like the reality is people all the people focus on is the, the five <laughs> that changed the world that no one ever saw yeah. the hustle that sits behind it and I think that that's important you know because we're all so fearful of um of stepping into uh, the unknown and the, the uncertainty mm. because we're worried about the obstacles yeah. and that it's hard and it may not work out and that's risky and then how will other people perceive us? Mm. But the reality is time and time again, I see the people that we look up to as successful that have created these amazing things, the only difference between them and you is that they are willing to step into that uncertainty yeah. and actually they trust the fact that even if it doesn't work out, they'll be a better human as a result of it. And a great thing about events like this, and I think that 
every, anybody that's listening that isn't here this weekend come next year because you, you can watch these talks on YouTube next week if you want. That's fine. But you, you, it's, it's different to actually see a human at, you know, especially at like the drinks or, you know, mingling afterwards and just yeah. realize this person, especially for young people, I think, you know, in university, this person is just like me. I think we do get caught up in feeds, Instagram, you know, where we see this very curated existence of everybody. And you know, I, 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 I do it myself. And, and, and people, I, I speak to people and they have this perception of who I am based off social media. And it's like, it, it's very skewed, really. So we, we're not really seeing what's beneath the surface most of the time. And, but the reality is there's a lot beneath the surface, but we all have that, right? And, that, you know, the people that rise to the top in professions, entrepreneurs, whatever it might be, mm. they've been through the same journeys, had the same fuck-ups. You know, and it, I think those stories need to be told more. I think, I think increasingly they are, but still in Australia there's a big sort of stigma around failure. Oh, there is. There's still a long way to go in that space without a doubt. And it's, and it's weird, really, with, you know, you sort of think about the Australian spirit or whatever. Like, there, there is there's this perceived kind of honesty about Australians, but actually we're, we're not that honest. Well, you know, there's, a, there's, so, there's so much kind of wall in front of what's actually real. We're, we're, no, we're, we're, we're not that honest. And, you know, there's, we have the couple, couple of issues that come to my mind is that, you know, this fear of failure um, in Australia comes back to tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. And we are brilliant at that. I think we're probably the best in the world at I stripping so. people down. We love a success story and then we love to pull them apart. Yeah. Without a doubt. And equally, you know, I think the other thing that I really struggle with and probably quite embarrassed about um, is the fact that we're extreme, still, I would argue, an extremely racist country. We are. And I think that that in itself is a huge barrier to us realising the potential of diversity and diversity of thought and diversity of innovation and ideas. And um, it just pisses me off. But racism and misogynist, but also just a bit closed-minded, I think. Just Without a doubt. Just not... And, but that's that's fear based. Of course, if, I mean racism is ignorance based, isn't yeah. it? It's a lack of understanding, um, and and seeking to want to understand. Yeah, and if and if the easiest way to gain acceptance is by joining a crowd that's touting one side of the argument, then that's easier. Right? The, the football team mentality here is, drives me nuts. Yeah. it's just it's black or white, and it's you know this or that, and there's just no nuance, and that's what we need. We need those conversations that are happening in the middle. Absolutely, that are difficult, and you know you might find yourself on the wrong side of, you know, whatever, but they're, they're difficult conversations to have, but that's kind of what we need. But there's so many benefits to a difficult conversation, and it's funny, I just spoke about in intentional adaptability, you know, the highly the people who are highly skilled in IAQ are the ones who surround themselves with unlike minds, mm. people who challenge them to look at the world through a different lens rather than like minds. It's easy to find like minds. We, we naturally gravitate towards them. Um, it's funny, though, I heard... Um, uh, the other day of uh, this concept if you want to surround yourself with unlike minds and challenge your thinking because there's a brilliant book um, by Bobby Duffy called The Perils of Perception that basically is all research-based globally. Um, I think it's over 40,000 people and it shows how wrong we are as human beings about so much of what we believe. Sure. Right? Fundamental, And it proves it time and time again <laughs> around all this stuff. And I marry that with the fact that I heard this concept the other day called a God swap. So if you want to surround yourself with unlike minds, like yeah. I'm not religious by any stretch. Sure. But I'm always curious about people who are. Mm. And so they actually say, so go from your church or from your belief system and go into a community. So go to a church group or go to a Buddhist group, yeah, or um, go to a mosque and actually swap religions for a day, yeah, and actually just absorb yourself in other people's beliefs, why they believe that, and just seek to ask questions and understand. And I was like, such a simple thing, but how powerful. Imagine if we could get everyone to do something like that for a day. It would be incredible. And I think, I mean, travel is a great 
Kickstarter for that, right? Like, I think that's what really changed my perception of the world the most was when I first sort of, you know, went to like, Thailand initially, but then, you know, Egypt, places that are culturally quite different to what I'm used to. And it sort of, yeah, just, it, it sort of blows the uh, sort of cobwebs away from your eyes. And the, the, the people are the same everywhere, but they're different, right? They're very oh. different, but they're all... So interesting about religion, I had... Um, Two of my team uh, work uh, offshore, so uh, Praz is uh, Indonesian and Muslim, um, and Raymond is in the Philippines and, and Catholic. Um, and they were both staying at my house on the weekend. And we had some amazing conversations, and I think, I mean, we didn't go too deep into religion, but it, it got touched on a couple of times. But I think, and they can talk for themselves, but they would walk away feeling like they have probably, those two probably have more in common uh, with each other than, than, than with me, you know, as, a, as, a, as an atheist. Because they've um, got faith in yeah, common. Yeah, um, which, which is beautiful. And I think that, you know, you have those, those types of conversations and you walk away feeling, oh, you know, why did I used to hate this other? Cool. I hate such a... I, or like, you know, or, or, or fear or, or yeah. like, whatever it might be. But it's such a... I just... I mean, if there's one word I could remove from vocabulary, yeah. I do always say to my nine-year-old, like, sometimes he uses the word hate and I just go, it's just such an ugly word. Yeah. Like, it's 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 unnecessary. Mm. Um, but it's funny what you say about travel because I had an enlightening experience last year where I, I took my um, then eight-year-old son trekking through the Himalayas. Wow. Um, and we did 120 k's in six days up to Annapurna Base Camp, which is about, I think it's about 4,500 feet above sea level. And, um, you know, it was, I want, for me, that's where his education lies. Yeah. yeah? It's not in school because school's not actually giving him the skills that he needs for the future, even though they're lovely. Sure. Um, and it was just fascinating to me. One, that um, when, I, when I booked it, I asked them if kids do it because I was, you know, just checking for the altitude sort of thing. And they said, oh, yeah, kids do it all the time. And I knew he was uber fit, so that wasn't going to be a problem. It was whether he had the mental resilience. Yeah. But, of course, we got on the trek. There was not one child the whole way. He was the only kid. And it was so, such an anomaly that, like, the um, the Sherpas were high-fiving him and buying him Mars bars the whole way up the mountain, right? Yeah, loved it. And he loved it because he was kind of like this mini hero. But I think that was great for me because it kind of gave him then the push to get through. Yeah. Um, and it was beautiful because he had a cultural experience. Like, I mean, even though he's travelled a lot, like we've never had before. Um, and, you know, connecting, like he was, the way he connected with people, we took a soccer ball with us. And that was the, the most important thing to him to pack because he's soccer obsessed. And to watch him at night in these villages in the Himalayas and the way it connected with the local people because soccer is so universal. Um, and, you know, he, I've got photographs of him playing with a, um, a one-armed goat herder who used to be a <laughs> Sherpa who lost his arm in frostbite in gumboots. Wow. You know, like it was just, um, it was beautiful. But probably the most insightful thing that came from that trip for me was um, we had this beautiful guide and his name was Joy, funnily enough. And he said, um, I said to him, we were talking about, I was talking about what I do and um, spoke to him about how in the Western world this busy thing is such a big deal and it's creating so much angst. And he just said to me, that word doesn't translate. We don't have a word for busy Mm. in Nepal that I could give you. And I was just like, that in itself, like the Nepalese aren't busy and there's plenty they could be doing. But uh, like joy, joy was joyful. You know, he was so at peace um, with his slowed down life he's perhaps inefficient life um and so seemed many of the people as we went up these mountains <laughs> um coming back to uh, on that it also would have been a great experience with him 
just being with adults too. Like that's a different experience, right? It and, was. And, and engaging with one, uh, culturally different uh, humans, but also just like being the kid amongst adults. I think that would have been cool. And the thing was the adults from, were from all around the world because yeah. there were so many, it was so diverse. And again, you know, a lot of the Europeans wanted to, the guys wanted to play soccer, the young guys, because <laughs> they're all so competitive. But yeah, it was um, phenomenal. Like so phenomenal that it, I'm now booking to go trick the other side next year. Amazing. And we're going to do Tibet which I think might be even more remote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's an incredible experience for, for your son. Um, going back to the workplace, so I, th- I think in that podcast you were talking about um, radical wholeness. And this is something that, so I, I started my own business, I, it's my business, you know, and it's all, it's, it was for me, you know, it was about me creating a path of freedom for myself. So I feel like I've often had that, I've had the luxury of coming to work and, and being myself, like it's, it's my thing, right? Yeah. As the team's grown, as the business has grown, I've found it frustrating personally um, and frustrating uh, as, a, as a manager or as a, as, a, as, a, as a leader to try and not, you know, uh, lead people into feeling like they can be themselves at work, that they can be whole or that they can have open conversations and be vulnerable. Um, like, how do you go about, as a leader, how do you go about fostering that in the workplace? Because I've I found that with, especially the younger generation, that there's a, a, a bit of a barrier there. They, they don't want to. I know some of these people are living quite rich and fulfilling lives outside of the office place, but for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable in what I would think is quite a comfortable environment to kind of share that. You know, they, they leave their outside selves at the door and come yeah. into work. It's interesting because the word that immediately comes into my mind when I speak or when people ask about this is authenticity. Yeah. Because it was such a buzzword, right, in the corporate world, this whole we need more authentic leaders, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was the latest bullshit as I kind of quote it. And I was interested because I'm always interested in what words mean. And mm. I think we don't ask ourselves enough what words, cert- certain words mean. Sure. And so when people started talking about authentic leadership in order to help people be more vulnerable, I was like, well, why are people feeling that they can't be authentic at work? Like, what does authenticity mean? And so when I unpack authenticity, authenticity is basically telling people to be who they are. Yes. Right? And I think that's kind of weird. It is. So why are we having to tell people to be who they are and that it's okay to be who they are? What we should be looking at is why they are afraid of being who they are. What is holding them back? Um, For me, if I was in a leadership position, that is the space I would be playing in. You know, I read something the other day and it said, rather than focusing on what we want, why don't we focus on what people are avoiding? Yeah. Yeah. And why they're avoiding it. Because I often find that's where the that's where the biggest opportunity is. Um, so having like ha- creating a space where you can actually talk to people about what what does authenticity mean to you, and how do you live and breathe it every day, and how can we as an organisation live and breathe this, like and actually document what authenticity means to you as a team. Mm. Yeah, because I think again it's like values. You see them on the walls of these companies, but there's never anything that actually articulates what it means in terms of how we show up in the workplace. And that's so important. So we, we, we went back through and, because I had, I had sort of put our values together. I mean, it had been a team effort, but when we were much smaller, but they were essentially my values. So we went back through and did it over several months, actually, as a, as a group exercise to, to get to this outcome. Yeah. But, but even still, I think there's, there's still an essence of you. You end up with, you know, five values or whatever they are. Humans aren't robots is one of them. Um, but then... You want to be able to almost every day come in and, and sort of be like, how is how well, how am I applying this 
to my my work day? How are we applying this to the, the people we do work for? And how does what does it actually mean to me? Because if it doesn't mean anything to you, then it's just fluff. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Two companies that do this extremely well. So they have values and then they explicitly articulate mm. what it means in terms of how you show up in the everyday. Because if you can't do that, you can't hold people accountable That's right. to what you want their culture to be. The two companies that I've come across, and they're, they're quite big, mm. um, but they do it brilliantly, is Atlassian. Yeah. And the other one is Netflix. Okay, yeah, and you so. can get online. Netflix have got their whole culture deck online. Yeah, Atlassian do too. Yeah, yeah and the, well, yeah. Atlassian do, you're right. Mm. And um, I mean, it's all there. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the reason they put it online is because they want other companies to do the same, like still shamelessly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and Atlassian's are great. And we, and we leveraged up it. Because to be honest, a lot of Atlassians come, like, flow over. And I think, I think you then fall into the, the, the pitfall of trying to be like, well, we need, we need our own values that are creative to us. But I think at the end of the day, you know, like, don't fuck the customers. Oh, my God. That's great. Don't fuck the planet. Like, yeah. it doesn't yeah. get any more real than that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but then they, like, then they, they, it's not just words, mm. yeah? The, the, the actions and the behaviours constantly reinforce those things. And like I say, they're only, the only two companies that I see that do that really well. Yeah, I'd be interested to, I just actually spoke to um, Mark Redding from Atlassian Foundation, really interesting talk. Um, and we were talking about, yeah, so, you know, actually giving, so that they give Atlassian will give, I think, I can't remember what the program is called, the 500 Club or something like that, where they give the developers a chance to actually talk with some of the non-profits that use their software about, you know, what's actually the good that it's doing it within their organizations. But I've found that the more we get our team talking to the end users and actually seeing, like, the good that they're doing, even if it's not, doesn't have socially, you know, socially beneficial impact, but if it's just commercially beneficial, but even just seeing that they've, I've built something good for somebody else, you know, that 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 tangibility of like I'm coming to a work you know, or I'm getting paid a check but I'm actually doing something that, that that's meaningful that's to meaningful. someone yeah yeah but yeah I, 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 I find I, I talk to a lot of colleagues about this like some people aren't as interested in, in that stuff so there's this huge there's a lot of talk about millennials and you know the, the Gen Z how they're much more purpose focused or much more interested in how they can yeah make impact but I mean sometimes I feel like you're trying to force that upon people that aren't that interested in it. and maybe that's you know I, I, I don't know how you how you tackle that because I, I would imagine as a human that you would want to be doing something that means something to you no, or I, I, so I, th- I think um, you would hope but mm. not always yeah and I think that's okay so you just leave yeah. it at that and, and that's exactly it yeah. and I, it's like I always think about the, the basics of change you know if there's one thing I've learned in over 20 years working in change and adaptability it's that there's always it's like marketing there's always three types of people and, and understanding those types, again, helps you work out where your energy is best directed to create the impact that you want in the world. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you always got your early adopters, your people that will get on board early and are 150% behind it. Mm. Your fence sitters, yeah, the people that could sway either way in terms of an idea. And then you've got what I call your terrorists. And these are the people whose sole purpose in life it is to just basically fucking complain sure. and pull ideas apart. Not, not for the benefit of building ideas, just because there is a comfort for them in being the complainer. Okay? And what I see is often a lot of us try and focus our effort and energy on the terrorists. And I would argue you are wasting your time. Mm, sure. and, and it's a long road that may not be very fruitful. The biggest opportunity you have is getting the fence sitters over the line and helping them in terms of awareness um, and equally leveraging the people who are the early adopters as your ambassadors. Yeah. Do you need the terrorists, though? 
you do need the terrorists because otherwise the world would be boring if we were all the same. But mm. also, like it's like we are saying before, they're the unlike minds. Yeah. And I'm not saying they don't have anything of value to say. Maybe they do have a lot of value. It's just the way that they present their message yeah. that doesn't really connect with people. Mm, that's interesting. Because I, I, I also worry about if you're running a sort of you know, a, a purpose-based organisation, a, a, a very strongly value-based organisation that you fall into that pitfall of having a fairly homogenous group of people potentially. I mean, obviously that's not necessarily the case, but... It, it often is. It though. often is though, right? Well, because we employ people like us. Yeah. But that, that is, again, it's, it's an unconscious bias that we just have. Mm. We employ people like us. Um, that's why, again, there's a lot of tech out there that I think is quite fascinating what's going on in, in the recruitment space where they're actually, you know, blind assessing people yeah. for jobs and the people that actually come through as kind of the top three for you then to interview, it's all based on simulations of them actually being able to do the work and do it well, rather than sitting there and saying, oh, you know, do I like this person? Yeah, and, and I, you definitely do that, 100%. Yeah, well, it's also, it's also like I remember when I was at Shell, we used to talk about cultural fit, and cultural fit's, fit's interesting, but how does what does cultural fit actually mean? Does that mean this person's not going to disrupt the status quo? Does that mean, that we, do you want people that fit in? Mm. Because what I see is that often the ones that don't fit in are the ones that create the new ideas and the disruption. Yeah. And allowing them the, the, you know, the, the space to be able to do that too. Correct. Yeah. That's a fun journey. Without a doubt, it is. <laughs> and so you have a very ambitious goal. So your, your goal is to... Teach um, 10 million humans by 2025 how to intentionally adapt in order to future-proof happiness. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a few things after talking to you. So I'm, I'm gonna definitely check out Focus, mate. I think that's that that's. I'd love amazing. to hear how you go. Yeah, because yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, and, and so we were talking off air before, but you're saying you've just uh, you've adapted a plant-based uh, diet for the yeah. last few weeks, and also uh, stopped drinking. Um, so that, that that's that's uh, that's intentional adaptation, and it's you know, and, and I often feel that when you make those kind of I'm going to change this and you stick to it. Like the actual, just the, I don't know, I don't know if it's endorphins or something in your brain kind of lights up just, just from the discipline of actually sticking to it. And Without it a happen. doubt. But the only thing I'd overlay with that, and when we talk about intentional adaptability, we don't prescribe what's right for anyone. Yeah, okay, yeah sure. because I would think that would be ignorant because, you know, I'm not a doctor, I can't diagnose. Mm. What we do is we provide experiments and with the, you know, going vegan and um, going off alcohol for six weeks, all of this for me, it, everything that I do is an experiment. Yeah. And we encourage people to experiment because I think there's an absolute lack of it in our society today. And again, that's fear-based. Yeah. Um, so, you know, experiment with this stuff, play with it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, find a new experiment. Yeah, but I think the, 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 the actual reality of the experiment you'll at least learn something from that well one you'll learn that that was without right a for doubt you. without a doubt mm. but if we don't try new things how do we learn and i always say you know growth doesn't occur in comfort it occurs in pain and discomfort it does. so if you are sitting there in comfort 99 percent of the time i'll guarantee you you are not realizing your potential there's a whole host of it untapped jump into the fire absolutely so if people want to find you and your podcast specifically I, I highly recommend listening to it so yeah we're I, just about to release the second series next week nice. um, so uh, you can find out about me uh, bekindred.com and that's B-K-I-N-D-R-E-D uh, the podcast is called Human First and you will find that on our website beautiful well, thanks so much I really appreciate it pleasure thank you Sam awesome cheers Hey everybody, Sam here again. Thank you so much, Penny, 
and South Start for allowing that conversation to happen. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So many great takeaways there. I often joke that when I'm sitting in the Humans Aren't Robots studio, I feel like I'm doing uh, psychotherapy. I think it's really great for me to sort of unpack some of uh, the things that I deal with in, in my work, life, balance and career. Um, so thank you, Penny, for giving me some great insights. One thing that I can highly recommend to people is Focusmate. So since this conversation, I've actually used it um, a number of times. So this is the tool where you can actually connect with somebody somewhere in the world um, and commit to a block of time, an hour um, of focus work. So yeah, I can really highly recommend that. Um, please do check out uh, Be Kindred and the IAQ. Um, you can actually do that test on the website. And I'll just mention again that we are coming racing up towards our other uh, great conference partnership with Pause. So we will be over in Pause Fest at the start of February, broadcasting live from the beautiful Melbourne. Um, if you haven't checked out Pause, please do Google Pause Fest. It is an incredible three days of ideas and inspiration. And you'll catch us there. Until next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening.